Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. Well, good afternoon. I'm on this high holy day of our most high Yahweh. I have a true story about Dominic Willard. Just before his death by a firing squad, he was asked if he had a last request, and he said, well, yes, a bulletproof vest. <laughs> Sometime in this world, that's what we need, is a bulletproof vest. Well, you know, our theme this year is return to Yahweh with your whole heart. And that comes from Jeremiah 24 and 6. Actually, it comes from Jeremiah 24 and 7, but I start with 6. How would that work? I will set my eyes upon them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will give them a heart to know that I am Yahweh, and they shall be my people, and I will be their El. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. And I think that speaks even yet of a, of a future time from now. But in some ways, it, was, uh, it happened during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah and their return after the 70 years in Babylon. And these were words spoken to Jeremiah from Yahweh to say to the people, and uh, Jeremiah was a very young man when he began his, uh, to be a prophet of Yahweh. In fact, Yahweh mentions in the first chapter that he was designated for that purpose from the womb before he was even born. <clears throat> you know, Yahweh spoke uh, many things to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said many things to the people of Judah primarily. By this time, the, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom had been taken into exile. And so most of his ministry was to Judah itself. And that would be make up of, uh, of course, Judah and Benjamin was uh, what became known. Today, we kind of class them all as Jews, but they were of the, the, the kingdom there around Jerusalem. But he spoke many things to them, and uh, he said, I brought you into this plentiful land, but when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. You know, sad to say that sometime when we watch America today, it feels the same way, that Yahweh gave us a wonderful land. He gave us a, a, a beautiful land, and uh, we have come in, in the last 50 years especially, we have defiled this land and made it an abomination and so we must do our part not to, not to fall into what is happening to our nation, but that we should be very careful that, and to understand that we need to appreciate what Yahweh has given us to the point that, that we keep his Torah. And uh, that is the difference between someone who is holy and someone who is not holy is the people that keep his Torah. If you might notice that uh, in one place he said that my law will stand for a thousand generations. And if you suspect that this plan has been going on for 6,000 years and each generation is 20 years, well, that's only 300 generations so far. So there's much more to go in that direction. He also asked these people this question, where are your L's that you make for yourself? Has a nation changed their L ever? And so uh, we find that Israel and also Judah had fallen away and they began to worship idols of the nations around them. If you would turn with me to 2 Kings 17 and verse 9 through 
And the people of Israel did secretly against Yahweh their Elohim things that were not right. They built for themselves high places at, at all their towns and watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and ashram as every high hill and every under every green tree. And there they burned incense on all the high places as the nations did whom Yahweh carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking Yahweh to anger. And they served idols of which Yahweh had said to them, You shall not do this. Yet Yahweh warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes. In accordance with all the law which I commanded your fathers, and which I sent to you by my servants the prophets. But you would not listen, but were stubborn, as their fathers had been, who did not believe in Yahweh their El. They despised his statutes and his covenants that he made with their fathers, and the warnings which he gave them. They went after false idols and became false, and they followed the, the nations that were round about them, concerning whom Yahweh had commanded them that they should not be like them. And they forsook all the commandments of Yahweh their El, and made for themselves a molten image of two calves, and they made an Asherah, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served Baal. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings, and used divinations and sorcery, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of Yahweh, provoking him to anger. Therefore Yahweh was very angry with Israel, and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. You know, it's, it speaks of this horrible thing that you, when they would worship some of these idols, uh, one God in particular, that they would, they would take their children and, uh, and offer them as sacrifices in the fire. And, you know, we, we think, well, that would be something I would never see happen, but we don't necessarily offer our children in the fire. We just offer them up as aborted children in our nation today. And uh, we have probably 40% of the people that think that's fine in our nation. And so when we think that this is not something that we engage in, you might think again, because that's what is happening in our nation each and every day. We have been blessed in the last year that some of that some of this has been rolled back as it were but i noticed that there is a congresswoman in california that has uh, brought it to a committee it's passed through the committee but it i think it'll die very shortly but she's come up with the idea that for the first year that after a baby is born that you should be allowed to kill that baby if you find something wrong or something you don't like about that. So that's where we are sometimes, a nation, and uh, I doubt that that will pass, but I also know that once it starts in the mind of people to do these things, then those things are what continues to happen. So I want to... Uh, I read that because that was the, the 12th king of Judah. Uh, if you start with Saul, and then, of course, the kingdom was divided after Solomon's death. And uh, the kingdom of Judah, but if you count from Saul down, he was the 10th. And his name was Ahaz. And uh, we will start with the second... Chronicles chapter 29. But I might just, I might just go by and, and talk about Ahaz just for a minute from chapter 28. And uh, he was uh, 28 years old when he began to reign. He did what was evil. It says in chapter 28 and verse 3, And he burned incense in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, and burned his sons as an offering according to the abominable practice of the nations whom Yahweh drove out before the people of Israel. And it says, plural, he burned his sons as an offering. So what I'm going to read about today is his son. His name is Hezekiah. 
I suspect that he was one of the blessed ones of that man because he didn't lose his life when he was young. And so that's the father that Hezekiah had. So I want to talk today about the man Hezekiah and some of the things that he did. And then that be, the beginning of his kingship is from the 29th chapter of Second Chronicles. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was, was Abiah, the daughter of Zechariah. I would like to point out to you that probably this mother had a lot to do with how this man turned out because he had a, a terrible father, but evidently his, his, his mother was a woman of some substance and, and probably uh, high moral standings, and possibly that's why she's mentioned here. And he did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh according to all that David his father had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he ordered the doors of the house of Yahweh repaired and repaired them. If you have your Bible open, you can look up in verse 24 of the last chapter, which would be 28. It says, And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of Yahweh and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of Yahweh. And he shut up the doors of the house of Yahweh, and he made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. In every city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other elves, provoking Yahweh to anger. So he took the, the very things that were used, the utensils that were used in the sacrifices and the officiating of the temple and, and cut them up and, and sold them as scrap metal. Evidently, that's what he used them for. And so the very first month of Hezekiah's reign, it says he opened the doors of the house of Yahweh and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now, sanctuary, now sanctify yourselves and the sanctuary, the house of Yahweh, the Elohim of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. So it probably been some years, and so you know how things get dirty. And then no telling what was brought in there during this time that Ahaz was in charge of the kingdom. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of Yahweh our El. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of Yahweh and turned their backs. They also shut the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to Yahweh of Israel. Remember that the lamps were, some light, some part of the lamps were to be lit and kept burning continually. Therefore the wrath of Yahweh came on Judah and Jerusalem, and he has made them an object of horror, of astonishment, of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. For lo, our father has fallen by the sword, and our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with Yahweh the Elohim of Israel, that his fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not now be negligent, for Yahweh has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to be his ministers, and burn incense to him. So he was gathering up the priests and the Levites so that they could begin their duties once again. And so uh, then we'll skip down to verse 15. They gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves and went in as the king had commanded by the words of Yahweh to cleanse the house of Yahweh. The priest went into the inner parts of the house of Yahweh to clean it, and they brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of Yahweh, the court of the house of Yahweh. And the Levites took it and carried it out to the brook of Kidron. 
They began to sanctify on the first day of the first month, and on the eighth day of the month they came to the vestibule of Yahweh. Then for eight days they sanctified the house of Yahweh, and on the sixteenth day of the first month they finished. So if you do a little bit of thinking and thought there, you'd realize that the first month is when the holy days of Yahweh are, and they were already, by the time they got this cleaned and sanctified, it was the sixteenth day of the first month, which would have been the day after the first high day of unleavened bread, which is on the 15th of that month. So keep that in mind. It'll, it'll come into play here shortly. Then they went in to Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleaned all the house of Yahweh, the altar, the burnt offerings, and all its utensils, and the table for the showbread and all its utensils. All the utensils which King Ahaz discarded in his reign when he was faithless, we have made ready and sanctified, and behold, they are behold, they are before the altar of Yahweh. So not only did they clean up everything, but the ones that had been cut up, they replaced. And so verse 20 to 24, it tells the story of uh, how that they made a sin offering for the, for not on, first they had a sin offering for the kingdom and the temple and then the people. And uh, we'll go down to verse 29. And when the offering was finished, the king and all who were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. And Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded Levites to sing praises to Yahweh with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness and they bowed down and worshipped. I did a little bit of calculation and my poor math may be wrong, but it seems to me like that it mentions here that they they sang some of the songs that David and Asa, probably from the Psalms, some of the very Psalms that we have in your book today. And they sang these that and they began to practice and learn how to make music for the temple again. And I'm so we are so blessed here with the people that are on our worship team that are willing and, and so very knowledgeable in the making of music. And they are a great blessing to all of us. So I thank you, each and every one, for your service in doing that. And uh, these people, as I said, were getting back into the rhythm of worship and learning the songs. I might point out, though, to the worship team that it don't hurt to go back and use old songs. These people went back as far as 300 years to lose some of these songs. And then they figured out that they had too few of priests to do some of the things that they were trying to do. So we'll skip over to 30, chapter 30 and verse 1. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of Yahweh at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to Yahweh the El of Israel. For the king and his prince and all the assembly in Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month, for they could not keep it in his time because the priests had, were not sanctified, had not sanctified themselves in sufficient numbers, nor had the people assembled in Jerusalem. So when he took over, it, was, it seemed to be the very beginning of the year, and uh, as soon as he, he became king, he started this process, but it took longer. And note that he sent letters of invite to, to the northern kingdom as well, to Ephraim and Manasseh, which is a, a kind of a, a symbolic term for the northern ten tribes, even though it only mentions two. They were, that was what was considered Israel. And he was the king of Judah. And uh, so... 
If we move down to verse 13. And many people came together in Jerusalem to keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month, a very great assembly. They set to work and removed the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars for burning incense they took away and threw into the Kidron Valley. Now, when he refers to all the altars that were removed, he was talking about the altars to the idol, idol gods of the nations around them that they had incorporated into their city and into their lifestyle. So there was a cleansing not only of the temple but of the land itself. And they killed the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month, and the priest and the Levites were put to shame, so that they sanctified themselves and brought burnt offerings into the house of Yahweh. And so uh, the priest hadn't expected such an outpouring of, of acceptance as these many people came up to the feast to, to celebrate that. And I would... Uh, I would point out that that, is, that seems, you know, sometimes leaders of, uh, of nations, leaders of, of cities, leaders of communities, leaders of assemblies, leaders of our family, that's something that we have to do. We have to lead. And that's something that sometimes we find a shortcoming in. In our nation right now, we have a short a shortage of leaders, of real leaders that are to hold us where we should be. And, but we find here that these priests experienced the same thing. They didn't expect such an outpouring of people. And so they were unprepared, as it were, to do what they needed to, to do as officials of the temple. I might go on to say that it is, I would say this to our, the men that are assembled here, we are responsible for the leadership of our homes. And we should be very uh, uh, dedicated to that course of action, that you are the one that's going to be held responsible someday for how your family turns out. And, of course, all everybody in the family sometimes pays the penalty for your for our negligence. And uh, the best that we can do is the wife, as we read in this story, is so much, it has so much to do with how a child turns out as well. But it's been proven over and over that the man has to assert his position of leadership in that family, or that family will be sort of without an anchor. I would also say to the women that are assembled here today, allow that man to take that position. And hopefully you've married a man of integrity, that one that you can respect and give him that authority over you. Uh, let's skip down to verse 21 of chapter 30. And the people of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised Yahweh day by day, singing with all their might to, the, to Yahweh. And Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good skill in the service of Yahweh. So the people ate the food of the festival for seven days, sacrificing peace offerings and giving thanks to Yahweh, the Elohim of their fathers. And so this was on the second month that they took the feast, which is uh, allowed in the Torah, it's allowed to move it back one month if there is a reason for it. I think that's numbers 9 and 11. I meant to write it down here, but I think somewhere in that place. And then in verse 23, here's an interesting thing. Then the whole assembly agreed together to keep the feast for another seven days. So they kept it for another seven days with great gladness. And it seemed like Hezekiah came to their rescue and brought food to the party. If you read that next little part, he, brought, he, he brings out several thousand uh, different 
animals so that they would have enough barbecue as they were going through the next seven days. Chapter 31, verse 1, I want to read this. It's a long verse, but it has something that we need to think about here. Now then, all this, when all this was finished, all Israel who was present went out to the cities of Judah. In other words, when they finished their, I will read in verse 26, so you'll know, maybe I should prep this a little. So there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. That, brings, that makes you think of Second Chronicles 7, 14, doesn't it? If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray... He said he will forgive them and heal their land. And uh, this was kind of what was happening in this verse 26 and 27. But notice in verse 30, chapter 31, verse 1. Now when all this was finished, all Israel who was present went out to the cities of Judah. So it wasn't just in Jerusalem. We already read about them going through out the city and taking down all the altars to the idols. Now, as they go and return back to their homes, they take this with them as well. And they broke in pieces the pillars and hewed down the ashram. Now, the ashram was a pole that was symbolic of the worship that they did to Asherah. And broke down the high places and the altars throughout all Judea and Benjamin, and in Ephraim and Manasseh, until they had destroyed them all. Then all the people of Israel returned to their cities, every man to his possession. And so I wanted to play a short clip here, and uh, something that I found to be quite interesting. From uh, you know, we find that. Archaeologists always find something to support the sacred writings of the scriptures. Just believe they've uncovered new evidence about King Hezekiah, and they say it supports the biblical account he destroyed the high places and idols in the land of Israel. John Waki shows us what they found. This latest discovery by Israeli archaeologists goes back to the first temple period about 800 B.C. They say it appears to parallel the Bible from the time of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah reigned 29 years here in Jerusalem, and Scripture says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, so that there was no king like him after him in Judah. But Hezekiah had trouble in his kingdom. This gate shrine was uncovered during recent excavations in the Tel Lahish National Park of central Israel. The city gate in the biblical period, it's something that plays that everything is going on inside. Archaeologist Saar Ganor said ancient Lahish was an important city, second only to Jerusalem. Closing to the wall, we have a lot of uh, benches with a pilaster, with a, with a, a white pilaster, with armrests that people can sit. Elders, judges, and kings would have sat here in the administrative headquarters. Scoops, jars, and handles also point to the royal and administrative nature of the gate. We found a lot of jars uh, that call Lamelech jars. It means belong to the king. Other discoveries indicate the presence of cults and that Hezekiah dealt harshly with them. That evidence included two horned altars with the horns cut off. 2 Kings 18.4 reads, King Hezekiah removed the high places smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. Archaeologists also talked of a significant and somewhat humorous sign of the times. A special find that we have in this uh, place, we have the toilet. It's a cube with a hole in, uh, in the middle. Also in Second Kings, Scripture says Jehu broke down the sacred pillar and altar of Baal and made it a latrine to this day. And now it's the first time 
that we have, uh, uh, that we can identify the story from the Bible in uh, Tel Achish with the toilets. These pieces offer proof of the Bible's telling of what Hezekiah did. With the removing the horns, uh, canceling the, uh, the Holy of the Holies of the gate shrine that we found, and the toilet make it impure. In part of the excavation, they dug through more than a foot of destruction and found arrowheads and slingshots that, according to Ganor, confirms the conquest of Assyrian king Sennacherib. It's like to uh, take the Bible uh, in your hand. Ganor added the Bible can stand on its own. We don't need to prove the Bible. We have the Bible and we have archaeologists. If it's matching, it's matching. Here in our story, it's matching. John Wagi, CBN News, Jerusalem. Yeah, if it's matching, it's matching. And uh, as, I, as I read through this, this story of Hezekiah, I come uh, to the part that I find was quite interesting, and I thought, well, I'll make an aside and just talk about this for a little bit. And that is the tithe that these people begin to give. And that's, uh, if you, from the second verse of chapter 31, he appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites, each according to his service. You know, David set up a certain rhythm and a, a rotation of the, of the priest. In fact, you can read that. I think it's in the book of Luke in the New Testament. And uh, it talks about... Uh, uh, Zachariah, that's his name. And they, uh, he was in that rotation as well. And he was the father of John the Baptist. And so uh, this was the same thing that he was setting up here at this time. And he goes on and talks about the burnt offerings of the morning and evening, the burnt offerings of the Sabbath. Also, it mentions the new moon and the appointed feast. This is written in the law of Yahweh. You know, some people wonder why that we uh, look for the moon, on, especially on certain months, because that is Yahweh's calendar that he set up from the very beginning. Very simple. All of his, all the, the days that Yahweh has appointed to keep starts out, you know, in the, uh, the 23rd chapter of uh, Leviticus. The very first uh, appointed time, you know, Yahweh said, this is my appointed time. Now, I would think that most people with a simple mind could understand what that means. It's Yahweh's special days. And so it starts out with the Sabbath. And he has a calendar in the sky that takes care of that. We know when it begins in the evening, and we know when it begins when it's over in the evening. If you read in Genesis, it goes through that whole, uh, that whole synopsis of uh, and there was evening and there was morning one day. And then it goes into his appointed high holy days. And also he mentions here to keep in the, the biblical months of the year, the new moon, I believe that it should be done. And there's some discrepancy and people have different ideas. But it said in the first chapter of Genesis that it is given the, the moon and the sun, the stars are given for signs and seasons. And uh, that word also means, and I'm getting way out of bounds. It's not what I was really going to talk about. But anyway, it's uh, signs is something that you must see. You know, if you go down the interstate and if there's, if it's a sign that's not there, it's kind of hard to see. So there again, it seems to me like that you have to look for something that's visible and not something that's invisible. But I would like to read here something that I feel like is very valuable, and I think it's been valuable in my life, so I pass this on. As, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul, he talked to the elders at Ephesus, as recorded in Acts 20 and 27. He said, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of Yahweh, and so I think that he had taught them uh, 
in every facet of what he thought they needed to know about being becoming a believer in the true and mighty one Elohim of the Bible. In verse 5, as soon as the command was spread abroad, and what in verse 4 he said, and he commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites, that they might give themselves to the law of Yahweh. So in other words, he said, y'all need to pay your tithes in so that these people can have time to not go out and work each day with their hands, but sit down and spend time learning Yahweh's law. You know, we read, Kevin read this morning that in the fourth chapter of Deuteronomy that the law of Yahweh is the best law that's been given to any nation in the world. If you go back and read that chapter, you'll find that. As soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, honey, and of all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the people of Israel and Judah who lived in the cities of Judah also brought in the tithe of the cattle and sheep. And the dedicated things which had been consecrated to Yahweh their El, and laid them, they laid them in heaps. In the third month, they began to pile up the heaps and finish them in the seventh month. When Hezekiah and the prince came to, and saw the heaps, they blessed Yahweh and his people Israel. And Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites about the heaps. And Azariah, the chief priest who was of the house of Zadok, answered him, Since they began to bring the contributions into the house of Yahweh, we have eaten and had enough and have plenty left. For Yahweh has blessed his people so that we have this great store left over. And so Hezekiah commanded them to prepare chambers in the house of Yahweh, and they prepared them, and they faithfully brought in the contributions, the tithes and the dedicated things. You know, something that I notice about uh, churches and even assemblies is that sometimes they seem like they forget that that's part of the Torah, that they're to give a tithe of their, of their increase, it says. And I find that an increase is fairly simple to figure out, but some people seem to have a little problem figuring that out. So I would just read very shortly here a few of things that are written in Torah that are part of this. Leviticus 27 and 30 would be a, maybe a place to start. All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is Yahweh's. It is holy to Yahweh. If a man wishes to redeem any of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. In all the tithe of the herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that passes under the shepherd's staff shall be holy to Yahweh. A man shall not inquire whether it is good or bad, neither shall he exchange it. And if he exchanges it, then both it and that of which it is exchanged shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. And then notice this little thing. It says, these are the commandments which Yahweh commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. Numbers chapter 18. And 26. And you might wonder why am I mentioning this? Well, one reason I mention it is because we're not to appear before Yahweh empty-handed on his high holy days. And he said, to give as you have been prospered. And no, it's an offering over and above your tithe. It's not part of the tithe, it's something over and above that. And so I mentioned that to you so that if you didn't know that, then you will now know. And so I feel like that Yahweh always blesses. You know, if you give to him, he's much more able to give back and he will bless you. And I'll read some verses that, that mentions that. But I don't want to cut you out of a blessing either because in my life, I've found that it's been a great blessing to give as what you what required. But that commandment to give as you have been blessed, that's a little harder. I would, I would much prefer that he would have just said a tenth or 
a 5% offering or whatever, because if he says, it's you have been blessed, now that's up to you to decide. And when you decide for yourself if you've been blessed or not, sometimes I always wondered if you get stingy, does that mean your blessing will diminish as well? I don't know, but I, that is a thought that we might need to think about. Numbers 18 and 26 and Yahweh said to Moses, Moreover, you shall say to the Levites, When you take from the people of Israel the tithe which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present an offering from it to Yahweh, a tithe of the tithe. And so that, again, talks to, about people that are ministers, that are, that are, somebody, that are or somebody that works for the assembly and they get a wage. They also are supposed to pay and they're being paid by tithes of other people, that does not exclude them from paying tithes, and that's what this verse refers to. This is the time when you pay a tithe as well. And then I won't turn to read, but Deuteronomy, uh, I don't think I got the, Maybe it's the 12th chapter. Let me make sure if, if I wrote down the right one. Yeah, if you read the 12th chapter, it speaks of his offerings and some of the things that you should do with your tithes and explains it. I think it explains it probably less clear than I would like, but it explains it clear enough that I think that you can figure out that there is a tithe to be paid any time that you have an increase. I would also turn to Nehemiah. Chapter 10 and verse 35. And this was after they'd returned to the land, and they were, again, they were in the process of trying to set up and make sure that they were doing things properly in their everyday life and how they lived each day. In fact, it mentions in verse 32 uh, about the shekel, and then in verse uh, 35, we, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of Yahweh. And uh, he goes on down, as it is written in the law, and the firstlings of our flock and of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our coarse meal and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priest. And he goes on down and, and speaks of all the things that they were to do, that they had set themselves to do. And it's mentioned according to what is written in the law. And so again, I just bring this up as uh, just reminding us all that this is not just something we can just ignore because Yahweh has written this down. This is the way that he expects us to support the work of Yahweh. And uh, if, if you don't pay tithe here, that's fine. You just need to pay it somewhere. That's what I'm saying. Pay it somewhere where somebody can further the kingdom of Yahweh. And that's the purpose of a tithe that, that was given. Psalms 81 and 10 says, I am Yahweh your El who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Proverbs 3 and 9, honor Yahweh with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And Luke eleven forty two, you tithe, and this was Yahshua speaking. Some people think that it's not in the New Testament, but uh, Yahshua says, you tithe of mint, rue, and every herb. Now he was speaking that he was speaking to these Pharisees and Sadducees that uh, were very meticulous and very uh, they were kind of evil people, but they were also people that wanted everybody to know what they were doing in their personal life. If they were d doing something, 
the same people that would have people go down before them when they was giving alms and blow a trumpet so everybody knew about it. Well, the, he said that these people, he was talking to them, and he said, you tithe of the garden vegetables that you have, but you neglect justice and the love of Yahweh. And so he was pointing out that that's, and he goes on to say, this you should do without neglecting the other. So we should do both of those things. And he uh, points out that, you know, it's fine to pay, you want to pay tithes. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. But he also says there's other things that are even more weightier than that. And so I want to make sure and point that out because he said that not only there but also in Matthew. Malachi, they have in the third chapter, he was talking to these people and uh, he had talked to these people through his prophet. And uh, so I might begin with verse 6. For I, Yahweh, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, this is chapter 3 of Malachi, verse 6. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says Yahweh. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob Yahweh? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing thee? And so then Yahweh begins to answer. In your tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouses, that there may be food in my house. And therefore put me to the test, says Yahweh of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. I mean, that says it fairly plain, I think. So I think I'll desist and move on to something else. And... Uh, But I would say that let's not cut ourselves off from the great blessing by not supporting Yahweh's work. And like I said, if not here, then be sure you do it somewhere else. Uh, and if not now, then when? Sometimes people say, well, I just can't afford to give anything. Well, you probably will never be able to afford to give anything if that is your attitude. Because Yahweh has made it very plain that he's going to give you enough that you can provide for his work as well. Uh, Psalms 119.34 says, Give me understanding that I may keep thy law or thy Torah and observe it with my whole heart. Uh, something in First Chronicles. I believe this is when Twenty-eight and verse nine. And you, Solomon, my son, know the L of your father, and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For Yahweh searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. These are serious words that was being spoken to Solomon. But you, have you thought about speaking these same words to your family and to your sons? You know, I thought about putting all of my sons' names in here and speaking them this morning, making sure they remembered that they have been, you know, you have a duty to perform. If you notice here, my son, know the L of your fathers. In other words, know who your father worshipped. And so it's our responsibility to pass that down to the next generation. If you expect to have a heritage, then you need to be able to do that. And here's one that everybody these days knows very well. It's Jeremiah, I believe, uh, 29-something. 
But I know the plans I have for you, says Yahweh, plans for peace and not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. But then if you just keep reading what it says, it says a lot more than that. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, says Yahweh. I mean, he signs his note. He signs what he said to you. And then I'm going to continue and finish uh, Second Chronicles 34 about his. I'm not finishing all that happened to Hezekiah, but just what uh, bringing us that part of the lesson. And Second Chronicles 34 in verse 21. <clears throat> this is something that... Uh, also, Josiah, the king that came some 60-something years later, did the same thing when he heard. About 60 years later from this, uh, Josiah, the, the boy, they call him the boy king, he became king when he was eight years old. And uh, when he was 16, he began to uh, call on the name of Yahweh. And when he was 20 years old, he began to clear the land of all the idols that were there. Now, you think about... In this day and time, who would you know that's 16 years old that would be willing and able to do those things? Of course, being king don't hurt, you know. That might be part of why he could do those things. But somebody that has that kind of a zeal. But I'm not talking about Josiah today especially, but I thought that was worth mentioning. And, uh, but in Second Chronicles... Uh, while they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of Yahweh, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law Yahweh had given through Moses. Then Hilkiah said to Saphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of Yahweh. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported to the king, all that was committed to your servants they are doing. They have emptied out the money that was found in the house of Yahweh and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Then the king heard the words of the law. He rent his clothes, and the king commanded Hilkiah, Abathan, son of Shaphan, to go inquire of Yahweh for, for me and for all those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of Yahweh that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of Yahweh to do according to all that is written in this book. And so... Uh, we have the advantage of having these things written in our book. We don't have to, and we have the advantage of knowing how to read. There's one place here, I can't find it right now, but it mentions that the king also read what it said in the book. And so uh, he was very impressed with what was there, and he understood that this was his obligation because this was given from Yahweh. You know, so in this lesson today about Hezekiah, I bring it to uh, your attention that, you know, he had a father that was not the kind of father that you'd ever want. And, but he seemed to have a mother of some importance. And uh, so, you know, family and children and our heritage, how we pass our our spiritual heritage onto that next generation is so very important. And we have to be able to do those things if we want to succeed as a family, if we want to succeed as an assembly or as a nation even. And that's why our nation is in trouble today because people have not been willing to do that. Alex Haley, he was the author of Roots, 
a book and that was made into a movie series. And uh, he has a picture in his office of a turtle sitting on a flat top fence post several feet above the ground. And he said he keeps it there because he realizes that someone helped us all get where we are. And so if you'll think back to the people that have helped you get where you are today. You know, some of those people that helped me, for example, have passed on. They've gone on and uh, were faithful in all of the things that they were given to do. You know, I thought back to uh, my grandfather. He started us on this a path of keeping the Sabbath in 1947. And he was the one to introduce not only the Sabbath, but also the Passover. He, uh, interesting story, he, he was sort of like uh, Hezekiah. By the time he realized that a, a Passover should be kept, he had already passed the first month of the Jewish New Year. And so his first Passover was kept in the second month of the Jewish calendar. And he passed away before the second, for another year passed. And so that was his one and only Passover. But also I would mention uh, uh, my parents, Warren Myrtle Wilkes, they were real students of the Bible and of the way, and uh, they were faithful throughout all their lifetime. Reminds me of the Vicknair family and the faithfulness that they showed each and every year to come to the feast, and wherever they were, they obviously always kept the Sabbath. Also, uh, Pete Vaca and his wife, and Pete's sister Diane, they they made great influence on so many people. And uh, Elder Bill Stubbs here in our assembly, these are people that have impacted people for a very long time. Elder Don Mansinger, George Kenny, and uh, Elder Joe York. You know, these are people that were faithful in all of the things that they needed to be faithful in. And uh, Hebrews, the 12th chapter, calls out the many that went before a great cloud of witnesses. And so, it, it, you know, the 11th chapter was speaking of the many people, the many great patriarchs of our faith. But we also have a great count of, of witnesses, even over and above those that I've, some I've named, and obviously I've left many, many, many people out. Romans 15 and 4 said, For everything that was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that through endurance and the encouragement of scriptures we might have hope. So endurance and an encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. I might give you an example. An African cheetah must run down its prey each day or whenever it can so that it can eat. It can run speeds of 70 miles per hour, but it has a problem. It has a real small heart, which causes it to tire very quickly. So if it doesn't catch its prey quickly, the cheetah must end the chase. So we likewise, we sometimes rush into Yahweh's presence with excitement and fanfare. But because our hearts are small, we don't have staying power. It reminds us of the sower that Yeshua spoke of, that he threw the seeds in many places. Some places he threw the seed, they were on rocky ground, and they sprang up, but they had no root. 
So again, I would ask you today, return to Yahweh with our whole heart. And you know we don't want you to be a cheetah. <laughs>